You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. There is a uh, a blessing to being able to have an office next to Bobby. I get to uh, sit over there and listen to him uh, work through these new songs that you've been learning the last few weeks. And so he's over there singing them while I'm over there studying. So he's been working on this song this week. At the same time, I've been studying God's Word, and uh, that's a uh, it's a beautiful thing. He, he said first service, he's not going to say it this time, but uh, first service that it's not as pleasant for him because I'm over there trying to sing. And he actually called it singing. Nobody has ever called what I do singing. So I, I take that as a compliment. So that's pretty awesome. Turn to Acts 3 if you don't mind. Acts 3. We, we, have, a, uh, we have a tremendous staff and leadership team that I, I am privileged to get to serve with every week. They hold me accountable. Uh, they don't mind asking me the hard questions. They don't mind pointing it out when I'm getting off track. And I love them for it. And I'm I'm blessed. This church is blessed to be able to have this team. And I'm I'm grateful to serve with them. Acts chapter three. So a few months ago, it was back before Christmas. I had the opportunity to uh, go up to Southeastern Seminary. Uh, I was invited up to be part of a kind of a, a pastors collective uh, and talk about discipleship. And there was a guy there who uh, had written a book, and uh, he he had traveled all over the world, and what his, his purpose in his travels were to find where God is working. And what I mean by that, that, that the kingdom is being expanded, and, and to examine what is happening, and then to see if he, he saw some kind of trend or pattern. So this man has been in places like Iran and Iraq, and I don't know if you're aware of this, and I want to get this on Facebook and some of our other platforms and maybe maybe in the bulletin next week. But there is a YouTube video that you need to watch. It's about a, two hours long that talks about what God is doing in Iran and Iraq right now. Because all we know about Iran and Iraq is terrorism. But trust me when I tell you, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forward. And guess who's leading the charge? Women. Women who are leading the charge and spreading the gospel. And it's incredible what's happening there that there has been a move of God in Australia, that there is a move of God happening in China, that there is a move of God beginning to just kind of take hold in Europe, where it's been, and Europe has been a, a cold, dark place for many, many, many years now. And there's some movement beginning to happen. So lest you begin to think that the only places that God is moving is in China and Iran and Iraq, somewhere other than here. Let me tell you about what's happening in Charlotte, North Carolina. This particular guy that was speaking there, he had another guy that was speaking as well. And this gentleman was a missionary in China for many years in, in very hard places. In the places where he was sharing the gospel, the gospel had never been heard. And he spent many years over there and saw many, many people come to faith in Christ and saw many, many house churches multiply over a period of several years. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God says, you're done here. And that's always hard when God says, you're done here. And he couldn't get away from it. 
So he, he decides to, to pack his family up, and God leads him to come to Charlotte, North Carolina. Of all places that he could have ended up, he ended up in the Bible Belt. And, and, and this man began to really question what God was up to because he had just left a place where there was such hunger for the gospel that, that, it, that even though it's a communist country and even though the leadership there now is really cracking down on Christianity, no matter how hard they cracked down, it seemed like Christianity was just thriving and spreading. And he was seeing the miracles of God on a regular basis. And now God has called him to Charlotte, North Carolina. So he, he begins to try to discern what God is, is up to. And so he first thinks, well, maybe, maybe God wants me to, to pastor a church. So he began to do some candidating and God shut that door really quickly. God said, nope, it's not what I want you to do. So he has to support his family, so he, he gets a job. Goes back to work, and he's just waiting for God to tell him what to do. And some, some months went by and in his prayer time, and, and he, said, he said in the meeting, he said, you know, I don't know why I was so thick-headed for so long. He said, God said to him one day through his word, said, do what you know to do. In other words, what you were doing in China, do in Charlotte. And is it really that straightforward and that simple? But, but Father, Charlotte is very different than China. Is there any hunger for the gospel in the Bible Belt? I can understand why he would ask that question. So you know what he does? He begins to do exactly what he did in China. Now here, here is the grand, marvelous plan and technique that he used in China. Are you ready for this? He began to share the gospel with the people he came in contact with. You thought there was going to be some like five-point plan there, didn't you? His job, where his kids played sports, every person that he came in contact with, Jesus came up. And there would be some people who would just reject outrightly. He, he calls that a red light response, right? You share the gospel, and they just they shut you down. I'm going to continue to pray for you because you can't stop me praying for you. Some people would say, you know, I've heard about Jesus, but I don't know much about him. I'm not too sure about it. That's a yellow light response. That means we need to have another appointment to sit down and talk again. And then, then there was those green light, right? The green light where the Holy Spirit's working and is drawing this person to salvation. And, and he, he shares his testimony and shares the gospel. The person puts faith in Jesus and has changed. Life has changed on the spot. Whether it be a baseball field, a restaurant, in the middle of Walmart, doesn't matter. Everywhere this man went, he shared the gospel just like he did when he was in China. He said something there that, that stuck out in my mind. He said, you know, I don't need permission to share the gospel. He said, Jesus gave me all the permission that I ever needed the day he died on that cross and resurrected three days later. I don't need to beg permission. I'm going to talk about Jesus as long as I can, and I don't have to ask somebody's permission to talk about Jesus wherever I go. Did you know that? You don't need permission. <laughs> if you're in love with him and he's changed your life, he really ought to be coming up in our conversations. But it was what this man said about discipleship that pierced me to the soul. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about when Peter preached that the people who heard it were pierced to the soul? What this man said in this meeting pierced me to my soul. It broke me in half. 
And if for no other person in the room that needed to hear this, I needed to hear it. He said, he said, there's a lot of churches that talk about making disciples. There's a lot of churches that talk about the Great Commission. And he said, if I come to your church and I want to, we want to do an evaluation on how effective your leadership is with making disciples, the Great Commission, that which we know Jesus clearly said to us to be doing as individuals and corporately as a church. He said, if I were to come to your church and evaluate just how you're doing in the Great Commission, here's what I would do. I would call your key leaders together. And he said, I would ask your key leaders to bring some people with them. And the people they need to bring with them is the person that they've led to Christ and discipled, the person that that person has led to Christ and discipled, and the person that that person has led to Christ and discipled. You see where I'm going here. Three people deep. And he said, if you can't bring those people into the room, the one that you've led to Christ and discipled, the one that they've led to Christ and discipled, and the one that they've led to Christ and discipled, then you are not in obedience to the Great Commission. And in that moment, I heard the Lord speak. You know what he said? He says, son, for all your talk about the Great Commission and for all your talk about discipleship, do you meet that standard? My tendency is in that moment to try to explain it. Wait, well, well, God, you're using him in a unique way. God, God, there's something you're doing with him that I don't have, and there was no way for me to get around it because the same Holy Spirit that lives in that man lives in me. The same commandment that he has, I have. <laughs> you know what I had to do? I had to repent. Because although I would never tell you to share the gospel, if I'm not sharing the gospel, and I do that, and I try to do that on a regular basis, and hear me out, there are times I get afraid. Wait a minute, Pastor, you've got a degree, and you've got all this stuff, and you've been pastor. There, there's times you get afraid. Yeah, there's times that I get afraid. I don't know why. I don't know if I have some kind of preconceived idea about how this people person is going to respond. But yes, there are times that because of the situation, because of the scenario, because of my business, because of whatever, I keep my mouth shut. There are other times that I bring Jesus up and I try to do that faithfully, but, but here's the thing. Have I been focused more on making converts than making disciples? There's a difference, you know. Has my responsibility with that person ended at the moment they got baptized? And I began, God began to just really work in my heart and my life. And I began to go all the way back in time to the very first person that I baptized when God called me into the ministry. And I can tell you pretty confidently that that person has been out of the church for many years. And I begin to see face after face after face after face. And I can tell you, I can tell you without any hesitation that over the long haul, I've taught the talk, but I hadn't walked the walk. And I'm ashamed of that. But not anymore. Because, you see, repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart. So, so, so we move in a different direction, and I am, and thank God for it. And, and as a church, we, we, we've got to move in a different direction. Let me tell you why. Because there's 7 billion people on earth, 7 billion people on earth, and out of that 7 billion, only 750 million, 11%, claim to have any kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. 
750 million, only 11%. 2.6 billion people, 38% have heard the gospel at least once, but have rejected it. Maybe that describes you this morning. Maybe you're part of that 38%. Maybe not only have you heard once, but you've heard twice, three times, four times, and you just keep rejecting it. You see, I know you're here this morning. I know who you are because we've talked. You just keep putting it off. 2.6 billion people have heard. But here's the big one. 3.5 billion people have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The majority of that 3.5 billion live in places that it is very, very hard, almost impossible for the gospel to come up. There's no one there. We have, we have whole parts of the globe where there are no Christians at all. If we're not making disciples the way Jesus commanded, if, if we're not making disciples who make disciples who make disciples, how in the world are we ever going to be able to make an impact on this 3.5 billion? Listen, don't think for a moment that the clergy is going to be able to handle that. Don't, don't think for a moment that, that only those with seminary degrees can handle that. This, this man that had this pastor's conference, I, I was just blown away by something that he does that, quite frankly, is so simplistic, it's beautiful. For the one who, for the one he leads to Christ in that very moment, wherever they are, you know what he does? He says, we need to sit down right now, right now, and talk about what it means to follow Jesus in discipleship. And you know what he does? If he can't meet with them right then, he makes an appointment to meet with them on that day. He, he refuses to let 24 hours go by before he can sit down and talk with this individual again. And here's what he does. He sits down and talks with them and teaches them how to share the gospel immediately. Immediately. And he says, now, who in your family doesn't know Jesus and can you talk to them today? Can you talk to them tomorrow? Let me tell you what your gospel is and what you're going to be sharing and, and your testimony and how your life has been changed. Share that with this person. And in a few simple steps, he teaches the person the gospel. And you know what they do? They go right out and they begin to tell someone else. He, he's not going to be satisfied with just converts. Last week, we talked about eight principles of the church that came right out of Acts 2, 41 through 47. Let me give you those eight principles again. A New Testament church cannot be less than this. A New Testament church cannot be less than this and be a New Testament church. They must be baptizing. They must be teaching. They must be in fellowship, oneness together. They must be observing communion. They must be praying. God's manifest power must be among them. They must be worshiping and they must be multiplying. If a church is any less than any of those eight things, we cease to be a church. But what do we do after we leave here today? Because for a lot of folks, Christianity has become just the Sunday morning gathering and nothing more. That Christianity has become here and not there. I want you to see what Peter and John experience in chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those who were entering the temple. 
So immediately after this massive move of God, where 3,000 people come to faith in Christ, and those 3,000 are baptized, and they begin to teach the doctrines, they begin to observe communion, they begin to have meals in each other's house. So there's time that is going by, and Peter and John are going to go up to the temple to pray. Now, why are two Jewish men going up to the temple to pray who've put their faith in Jesus? Well, it's because they know that at that temple they're going to run into people who are lost. You see, Peter and John are being intentional about what they're teaching. They're teaching in the church that the people who've been born again should then go find other people who don't know the grace and the love and the forgiveness that they found. So Peter and John are now practicing exactly what they preach. So they're walking to the temple. And there they find a man who is lame from birth. We find out that this man has been carried to the temple every day. I need to describe to you where he is. It's important for you to know this. So, so the Temple Mount is a huge, huge area. I would say several, several, several football fields square. I mean, it's huge. And there's a large outer wall that surrounds the entire temple complex. And there are several gates that you can enter into the temple complex area. And when you come into the temple complex, you got this wide open space called the Court of the Gentiles. But in the center of that walled-in area is another walled-off area, and that is called the temple proper. And inside the temple proper, or around those walls, are also ten doors. And each of those doors are very ornate and beautiful, but there is one door on the opposite end of the most holy place. So inside those walls, you have the actual temple. It's overlaid in gold. It's beautiful. It's magnificent. It's huge. And it is the focal point of everything in Jerusalem. And there are two compartments in that temple. There is a front part and a back part. And in that back part is the most holy place where the presence of God is. Out front is where they're offering sacrifices. So we have this outer wall that separates the court of the Gentiles from the inner part of the temple proper. And there is a gate that is directly in front of the temple itself. And there's a reason why this gate is called the gate called beautiful, because it was coated and covered in Corinthian brass. It was beautiful. But this was the main entrance of people coming in to worship God. So what better place for a man who's lame to be sitting to ask of those who are going to worship God in the most holy place and with the priesthood and with with the animal sacrifices, to go into that next place and let the priesthood go into the holy place on their behalf. What better place to sit and beg because you know they're going to be thinking about, well, here's this guy and I'm going to worship God and I know that I'm supposed to help this guy out. I would imagine there were people that, as they were walking in, were trying to look at the temple and ignore him. I would imagine there were people who walked in that day and goes, oh, no, not that guy again. I would imagine that there were people who were walking in that day who had a lot of pity and self-righteousness about this guy who's laying by the gate. You see, these Jewish people had heard the Pharisees teach that if a man is lame from birth, it's because of some sin he's committed or his parents has committed. And if he's committed some sin and he is unclean, he cannot come into the temple at all. There's a reason why he's not on the inside of the temple proper. He has to stay outside because 
He's a sinner. And imagine the disdain of people walking in and out every day, trying their best to get by this beggar without having to engage or deal with him. You see, he was he was not really, in their eyes, a person that was of any value to them. But his life depended upon somebody giving him a coin. He was used to people looking away. He was used to people walking on by. He was used to people just speeding up as they go into the game. Because listen, we're going to worship God. You can't. Can you imagine what this man has heard day after day on the inside of those walls? The quoting of psalms, the sacrificing of animals, the praising of God, all while he's on the outside. That sounds kind of familiar, does it not? You see, that's who I was at one point in my life. I was on the outside looking in. I wasn't lame in my legs. I was lame in my spirit. I was lost and undone. The Bible says that I was spiritually dead, alienated from the grace of God. I was the blind beggar, the lame beggar, the blind man, blind Bartimaeus. And anybody else you want to mention in Scripture, I was a broken man at age 16 on the outside looking in. And so it is with you if you're lost. The songs we just sung didn't really make any difference. To you, they were nothing more than songs. Seeing Peter in John, verse 3, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and so did John. And they said, look at us. Look at us. John and Peter see the man. The man sees them. The lame man is expecting to get some alms. Finally, somebody who will stop. Finally, someone who sees me. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. That probably was kind of kind of a downer moment for the guy, right? Well, if you have no silver and gold, why are you stopping? Because my greatest need is silver and gold. You see, I can't eat today unless I have some silver or gold. I, I can't survive today unless I have some silver or gold. In other words, My life depends upon silver or gold, and if you don't have any silver or gold, then you have nothing to offer me. Peter and John says, we don't have any silver or gold. But I do have something I want to give you. But what I have to you, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, he was not expecting that. And something beautiful and amazing begins to happen here. So, so Peter and John reach out their hands to a man who has legs that are so thin, there's no muscle mass on his legs at all. He's, he's never walked, he's never stood, he's never ran, he's never jumped. He grew up his whole life watching all of his friends do that. He's never had the opportunity to do this. He doesn't know what it's like to stand up and even have balance. He doesn't know what it even feels like to stand on his two feet. His legs are curled up under him. And they would have been atrophied from all of the years and years and years and years of sitting. His legs simply do not work. But in that moment, God does something miraculous and beautiful that in that moment, the muscles are restored, the ligaments are tied together. The man has a knowledge immediately of how to stand. And this man begins to stand. He begins to run. He begins to leap, having never done it before. 
That's the God we serve. He's leaping. You see that verse 8? And leaping, he stood. That Greek word has the connotation of a deer leaping. You ever seen a deer leap? This guy jumps up. He is off the chain happy. He thought the silver gold's what he's needed, but he didn't know that Jesus Christ of Nazareth could do such a thing. I wonder, I wonder if maybe Jesus walked by this same gate. We know that he went to the temple. And I wonder if when Jesus walked in, this man was sitting there. And I wonder if Jesus, in his foreknowledge and his sovereignty, thought to his mind, I see you. And there's going to be a day when my disciples come by and I'm going to heal you. Not today, but at the right time, at the right moment. He leaps up and he walks with them and he. He's praising God. So so what are Peter and John doing here? Peter and John, here's what they could have done. They, They could have walked up to the lame man and said, you know what? There's this church that meets over there in in, in Solomon's portico. It's just it's about a hundred yards that direction. We're gonna meet there this afternoon. And if you could come over there and meet us, and and we're gonna tell you about Jesus, or or Peter will tell you about Jesus, or John will preach a good message, and you'll hear some good singing, and you can hear about Jesus. Does that sound familiar? I love the fact that you guys are inviting people to church, and I want you to keep doing that. But you've got to understand, the Great Commission calls us to go, to proclaim the gospel out there. There is no way that we can hire enough staff to impact the lostness just in Robinson County. It's not an option. Peter and John didn't invite the guy to church. Peter and John told him about Jesus in that moment, in that place. And he jumps up with them, and he walks with them out of the temple. They actually brought him into the temple proper. They brought him in, and everybody's blown away that this miracle has happened, and everybody wants to know, what is going on here? How did this happen? You see, this, this lame man is every one of us who were once lost and dead in our own sins. This lame man was me at 16. This lame man was you before you came to faith in Christ. And aren't you glad that somebody saw you and saw what your real need is and that somebody, whether it be a pastor, a friend, a mom, or a dad, or a grandparent, took the time to point you to Jesus because if they didn't, where would you be today? Thank God that somebody saw me and my brokenness. In my sins. You see, disciples recognize and engage the laws wherever they go. Wherever they go, they're going to engage. Wherever they go, they're going to bring Jesus up. When, a few months ago, back in November, I had the opportunity to, to speak at the Baptist Convention. And I did a breakout session. And, and they wanted me to, to talk about Bless Every Home, what we've been using here to help us engage with our community. And so I was sharing about that. And, and out of those two sessions, I had a morning session and an afternoon session. There was about 60 churches represented in the people who came to those two meetings. I had a lot of people come out for this. And I spoke about an hour and 15 minutes of each session, and I got to know the people. And there was about 60 churches between those two sessions that were there that day. So I decided to do a little poll. And I asked them, all those church representatives in there, I asked them a, a simple question. 
I said, of all the baptisms that your church has seen in 2019, how many of the people that you baptized were led to Christ by somebody other than the pastor, other than staff, other than a deacon, or other than an elder or leader in the church? How many? What would be the percentage? So let's say, let's say that you had 100 baptisms, 100 baptisms in 2019. How many of those people that came to faith in Christ was a result of church folk just like yourself who went across the street to their neighbor, shared the gospel with them, led them to Christ, told them about baptism, and got them plugged into the next baptism service? Or was the higher percentage the result of the pastor sharing the gospel, the pastor following up, the pastor leading them towards baptism? So I started out at 50%. In your churches, in those 60 churches, 50% of the baptisms were those folks, come to, did they come to faith in Christ as a result of the people of the church going outside the walls of the church? Nobody raised their hand. So I dropped down to 25%. Nobody raised their hand. I dropped down to 10%. Nobody raised their hand. I finally went to 5% and nobody raised their hand. In other words, 90 to 95% of the people who are coming to faith in Christ is the direct result of pastoral engagement, church leadership engagement, staff engagement, but not the church body at large. That's about where we are, by the way. We've had tremendous, tremendous amounts of baptisms in the last seven years since I've been here. But we're right about in that same place. Disciples reveal a power that is greater than their own. Not only do they recognize and engage the lost, but they, they're going to acknowledge a power greater than their own. Look at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, now they've left the temporal proper. They've come out, they've walked across the court of the Gentiles, and now they're at a place called Solomon's Portico or Solomon's Porch. That was basically a, a, a row of columns that surrounded one area of the outside walls of the temple, just right inside the walls. And this is where the New Testament church would gather. This is where that 3,000 people plus would gather inside that temple courtyard and begin to sing praise and worship to God and engage people with the gospel. And guess what? All these people follow them out of the temple proper because they want to know what happened. So when Peter sees it, he sees an opportunity to bring Jesus up. So he says, men of Israel, verse 12, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. Peter, who was always quick to take credit, always quick to step forward, always quick to want to have the attention on him, something's happened to Peter because you know what Peter's doing here? Peter says, look guys, it's not by our power or our piety that this guy has been healed. He immediately turns the attention of the crowd to Christ. You know, I wonder if the reason God isn't moving in our life, in our family, in our church is because God knows we're going to take the credit for it. God, help us. That when God does move, we give credit to our programs. We give credit to something else, but we don't give credit to God. Well, I can tell you right now, if that's the position we're going to take, I can promise you God's not going to give you the opportunity to steal the glory that He deserves. Peter says, it's not because we're good men. No, on the contrary, it's not because we're religious people. Let me tell you 
how this man was healed. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant. Glorified his servant. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the covenant promises. Peter takes them all the way back to the church fathers. And he says, if you remember, and and they would have known this, remember when God made that covenant with Abraham, he said that there's going to be an offspring that will come and and all the nations of the world will be blessed. All people will be blessed because of this son of Abraham. Well, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant. Jesus meets the criteria of the servant that all those fathers talked about. Not only them, but the prophets as well. Prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel said that there would be one who would come. Peter immediately turns their attention to Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he says, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he decided to release him. But you denied the Holy Spirit and the righteous one, and you asked for a murder to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. I want you to notice what Peter's doing here. Peter's doing the hard part of sharing the gospel. You know what the hard part is of sharing the gospel is? is when we have to deal with the fact that the person sitting across from you is lost. That they are participating in lifestyles and sin that is separating them from a holy God. So Peter says to them, listen, you tuck this holy servant, this righteous holy man, God's only son, and what did you do? You denied him even though Pilate was trying to set him free. Even though Pilate had him scourged with the hopes that you would have compassion. In that moment, you cried for Barabbas, a murderer. A group of murderers were calling for a murderer to be set free while you called for Jesus to be crucified, an innocent man. And not only that, but the author of life, and that is a very unique phrase in the, in the original language. It's very unique. The author of life, that, that all things exist by God, by Christ, for Him and through Him. That, that in Colossians chapter 1, we find out that all things exist through Christ and for Christ. And the one who created it all, you put on a cross. You know what Peter's doing here? Peter is talking about the bad news before he can talk about the good news. That's hard to do. Listen, nobody, nobody in culture wants to hear that they are rebellious, that they are sinning against the Holy God. I didn't want to hear it when I was 15. I did everything I could to get away from it. Because I thought I was a pretty good person. I thought, when, you know, if you compare me out to some other teenagers, I wasn't all that bad. The, full, the point is, none of that mattered. When you compared me to a holy God and to Jesus Christ the righteous, I was as dirty a sinner as you could possibly be. So the hard part of sharing the good news is the fact that at some point the bad news has to come up. And we can never share good news if the bad news isn't clearly clearly understood. And what's the bad news? The bad news is is that you were born into sin and rebellious. The fact is that on your best day, on your best day, 
The same sin and evil that dwells in you is the same sin and evil that dwells in the most heinous person you can think of. It's easy for us to point to the killer, the murderer. It's easy for us to point to the ones on death row and say, at least I'm not that bad. Trust me when I tell you, being born into a broken world and born into sin, what's going on inside your heart is no different than what's going on in that person's heart. They just got caught. The bad news is, is that we have a heart that is desperately wicked and who can know the depths of it? Listen, can we just put all the mask aside and let's just be honest? Just think about what you thought about this week. Think about the things that you thought inside of your mind at that moment of anger, at that moment of lust, at that moment of pride. Think about what ran through your mind. Think about the video recording that ran through your mind. Think about that and then you'll begin to see the bad news. Listen, the good news is great news because the bad news is really bad news. The bad news is, is that you can't fix any of that. The bad news is, is you can't extricate yourself out of that rebellious nature. The bad news is that you can't fix that no matter how many churches you join and no matter how much money you put in the offering plate. But here's the great, awesome, beautiful, perfect news. And that's exactly what Peter's doing here. He's setting them up with bad news to give them the good news, the great news. And the great news is, listen, he says, verse 16, he's going to answer the question they had on their heart. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Jesus is the reason the man has been healed. Jesus is the reason why the man is now praising God. Not only was he physically healed, but from everything we could tell, he was spiritually healed as well in the same moment. That faith that he expressed ushered him out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. He is now no longer a beggar living off the scraps of the world. He's a son of God the Most High and will live in eternity forever, and one day I'll get to meet him. That blind man or that lame man sitting by the gate, gate called Beautiful. Not because he deserved it because of God's grace. Notice what else happens here. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. Now, Peter's going to be very gracious here. He's going to be very gracious to this crowd. He's, he's going to say, even though you killed the author of life, you put him on a tree, you shall crucify, you asked for Barabbas, you did all of that in ignorance, but God was working his sovereign grace out even in your ignorance. Even in your foolish decisions, God was working all things out to bring about something beautiful. He was both an artist and a potter. He, he was working both on a canvas and on a clay pot. He was doing something beautiful as we just sung. All through the brokenness, God was bringing about His will. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Now, they've been acting in ignorance up to this point. They no longer can operate in ignorance. They've heard the bad news and they've heard the good news. And when you hear the good news, it demands a response. So no longer can these people who were responsible for crying crucified can no longer say, well, hey, I didn't know. Peter has now drawn a line in the sand and he says, you're on that side of it. And now that you know the truth, the truth that we witnessed, that He resurrected, we all witnessed that. 
And Jesus is not some dead prophet whose ministry is dead and gone. Jesus' ministry is still working through us, and this man's healing is evidence of that fact. So it's the evidence that demands a response. And what is that response? Verse 19, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Your sins may be blotted out. The sin and the shame of what you've been carrying around, you've come to the conclusion that I'm just going to deal with this the rest of my life. Maybe I can drink some more alcohol and not have to deal with the sin and the shame. Maybe I can, maybe I can view some more pornography and it'll take me out of, out of this situation where I'm thinking about my own brokenness. And maybe for a little while I can, I can have a respite from thinking about it. Maybe, maybe, I could, maybe I can shoot up with something. Maybe I can pursue another man or another woman, another relationship. And as I pursue that, I can find some joy and some peace only to come right back to the same place, broken and lame, sitting by the gate, not wondering and not understanding why all the world who follows Christ has peace in their heart while you sit by a gate living off the scraps of this world. And you think that that's life. You've bought the lie. You think that that's living. And you go from coin to coin to addiction, to addiction, to relationship, to relationship, all the while looking for the one thing that Christ can give you. He's the only one that can give it. And it comes through faith. It comes through repentance. So what are we, what are we doing when we leave here today? Well, what, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to continue to worship. We're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to abide in Christ. But listen, there is something we absolutely have to do because this community needs to know about the day somebody told you about Jesus. This community needs to know that there's hope and forgiveness and peace. This community needs to know the hope that you found. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to land the plane. Matthew 4. So, so what are Peter and John doing? Well, they're, they are practicing what they're preaching. And this started with Peter, especially, all the way back in Matthew 4. So Matthew 4, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, verse 18. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, the exact same Simon Peter that just preached that message in Solomon's portico. And he had a brother named Andrew. And they're fishing. They're casting a net and they're fishing. Verse 19, Jesus looks at him and says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's go back to Acts. So, so Jesus breaks it all down into one simple, small statement. What we are to do when we leave this place as disciples of Christ, we are to follow Jesus and fish. Follow Jesus and fish. And I'll tell you this, if you're not fishing, you're not following. And if you're not following, you're not ready to fish. Because you've got to know who you're following before you can tell somebody else about who you're following. And if you're not fishing and telling other people about Jesus, then you're not following. I don't, it does not matter how much you love Him. Can I tell you that conviction about something is not the same as obedience? Feeling bad about something that you're not engaging in, that's not the same as obedience. Conviction must lead to obedience. 
So we follow and we fish. What does that look like? Well, the Great Commission calls us to do this. The Great Commission calls us to go, not come. Let me, let me explain that. While I am thankful that you invite folks and friends and neighbors that are lost to come, I, I truly am thankful for that. Continue to do that. It's a blessing to look out and see you sitting with folks that you've invited. Keep doing that. But we can't sacrifice going because that's what Jesus said to do, is to go. And guess what? You're already going all over the place. You're, you're already engaging people all around you who are sitting at the gate broken. All you've got to do is see them and say to them, silver and gold have I none. But let me tell you about what I found. Let me tell you about how Jesus has changed my life. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Secondly, we must go to everybody, not just some. You see, a lot of people walk by the lame guy. A lot of people walk right on by him. But we've been sent to everyone. We've been sent to the poor and the rich. We've been sent to the broken and the ones that don't look like they're broken. We've been sent to the ones that when you talk to them, now hear me well here, hear me clearly on this. When you start bringing Jesus up, you're going to get offended. Because they're going to use some language that lost people use. Can you just forget that for a moment? Because that's the same language you used to use. As a matter of fact, it's the same language you use on the inside of you when you get mad. So let's just put the judgment aside. The person you're engaging with, they may look different than you. The person you're engaging may talk different than you. But that's who Jesus has sent you to. Not some, all. Everyone, and you don't need permission to bring Jesus up, bring him up. Bring him up and keep bringing him up. Get into the habit of bringing him up. You're in love with him. He's in love with you. He's got to come up. And finally, make disciples, not church members. Make disciples, not church members. You, if you lead somebody to Christ, then you stick with that person. You, you talk with them about baptism. You talk with them about what the struggles you've had in following Jesus. You talk with them about how you've learned to study the Bible. You talk with them about what it means to pray. And you meet with them and you pray with them and you study God's Word with them. You have been empowered to do that. You've got all that you need. You don't need a seminary degree. You've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. We seek disciples, not decisions. We pray for followers of Jesus not just people who repeat a prayer. Not just somebody who checks the box. We're looking to point people to Jesus. And then we walk with them in love and in kindness and in patience and in long-suffering. This is who we are. This is what we've called, been called to. This is what we're to be about. And this is what we must do. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for the convicting power of it. I'm thankful for the work that you're doing right now in our fellowship. And I'm thankful for what you're about to do. Because, Father, there's going to be a move of your hand that I already see working. And, Father, we must, we must be obedient to what you're saying to us. 
So, Father, on the one hand, I know there are people in this building that are lost today. I know they're here. I know they've been putting it off. And I know, Father, that you've been stirring and drawing them. And the only excuse that they've got is I'm just going to put it off a little longer. It's not the right time. Father, right now in the stillness of this moment, I pray, Father, that they would admit, admit their brokenness and their sinfulness and their rebellion. And Father, what you're looking for is for them to simply say to you, I know, I know that I'm broken. I know that I've missed the mark. I know that I can't fix myself. I know that deep down, I am lost. And then, Father, what you're, you're longing to hear from them is, Father, I turn away from my whole life. I can't, I can't fix myself. So, Father, I'm going to have to allow you to fix my life from the inside out. And that starts with starting over. So, Father, they are calling out to you now, saying they're willing to turn. Turn from the old life and to surrender all to you. And now, Father, they begin to call out in faith, saying, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and I believe that He resurrected from the dead, and I believe that He sits at the right hand of the Father. I believe it, and I put faith in Him. They're calling out to you now by faith. And that's what you've been waiting for. And now, they give you every area of their life completely and totally. And now, up in heaven, the angels rejoice. You have a new son or a daughter. And all that is left is for them to make what is private public. That no one putting their faith in Jesus should ever be ashamed of that ever. So they're going to have an opportunity to do that in just a few minutes. For the disciples in this room, Father, I, I know, Father, that you have pierced their hearts. I know, Father, that you've been speaking to them and you've been saying the same thing to them that you've been saying to me, that we're not fulfilling what you've called us clearly to do. So what are we going to do? We're going to repent. Change of mind, a change of heart. We're going to seek your face and your throne and your kingdom. And Father, we're going to start again. Have your will in your way during this moment of commitment. That all the mask would come off. That we could be real and honest. And we could do exactly what the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do in this moment to your glory alone we offer this in christ's name amen thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon for more information about hyde park baptist church please check out our website hydepark.church or on social media on facebook and instagram at hyde park baptist 